deal. With your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 19, I would like to introduce you this morning to Mr. and Miss Lot. (laughs) They have two daughters and they live in the ancient city of Sodom. Mr. Lot moved Miss Lot and the family of Sodom several years before because he and his uncle Abraham had a disagreement. Mr. Lot chose to make his home in Sodom because it was a very prosperous place in spite of the fact that the Bible says that the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. But while Mr. Lot had his ambitious eye on Sodom, God had his holy eye on Sodom. The Bible tells us that for some time there had been a great outcry against the city of Sodom for their wickedness. In fact, the Lord came down to visit Abraham and Sarah, and the Lord brought with him two angels. After they spoke to Abraham, the Lord decided, I'm going to tell Abraham what these two angels are about to do. And so he told Abraham that these two angels were going to Sodom and Gomorrah, and they were going to destroy those cities because of their wickedness and their vile lifestyles. Now, Abraham knew that his nephew Lot and his family was living in Sodom. And so Abraham, being the godly uncle that he was, began immediately interceding for his family. He said, oh Lord, you you wouldn't go down there and destroy that city if there were 50 righteous people there, would you? And the Lord said, no, for 50 righteous people, I would spare it. And then Abraham got to calculate, and he's thinking, there's not 50 righteous people down there. And so the number progressively went down until it came to 10. Would, Would you please spare the city of Sodom for 10 righteous people? Because he really cared about his family. Abraham loved his family and his nephew Lot. Even though there had been a disagreement, even though words had been spoken, Abraham still loved his family, and he interceded. If 10 righteous people are there, would you spare the city? And the Lord said, okay, for 10 righteous people, we'll spare the city. So the two angels went on down to Sodom to make their final evaluation. And as they approached the city of Sodom, there sat Mr. Lot at the gates of the city, and he saw these two guys coming. Chances are he didn't know they were angels, He just knew they were strangers, and he knew what would happen to them if they stayed in the city that night, and so he invited them to his home. He said, hey guys, welcome to the city of Sodom. I'm Mr. Lot. Would you please come to my house? Uh, I'll have my wife cook a meal for us, and we can fellowship, and you can stay the night in my house. The two angels said, no, we'll just stay right here at the city square. We're okay. We'll We'll just stay on the street tonight. Lot begged them, please don't do that. Come to my house. And and after encouraging them, they said, okay, we will. Mr. and Miss Lot prepared this grand meal for these two men. And they had a great meal, good fellowship. And just about bedtime, when they were going to bed, there was a, a noisy mob outside of Lot's house banging on the door. And so Mr. Lot went to the door, and he opened the door, and there were, the Bible says, all the men of Sodom, 
from the youngest to the eldest, all of the men of Sodom were banging on Lot's door. And they were demanding that Mr. Lot turn these two strangers over to them. Now, guys, this is, this is almost unimaginable, <laughs> what's happening here. The reason they wanted these two men is to engage with them in homosexual relations. Mr. Lot stepped out on the front porch and tried to reason with this sinful mob. And what he does next is, again, almost incomprehensible for me. I, I just can't grasp what he said to them. He said, now guys, please settle down. You, you can't have these two men, they're guests in my house, but I do have two daughters who are virgins. You can have them. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but that doesn't compute with me, does it with you? But that's not what the evil mob wanted. They didn't want his virgin daughters. They wanted these two men. And they said, Mr. Lot, you better get out of the way or we're going to kill you and burn your house down. And just in that instant, the angels reached out, grabbed Lot, pulled him back in the house, shut the door, barred it, and then the angels smote this mob with blindness so that they couldn't even get to the house. Back inside the house, the two angels set Mr. Lot down and spoke sternly to him. They said, we are messengers from God. God has sent us down here with the express purpose of destroying this city. We can't even find ten righteous people in this city, so tomorrow morning it is going to be annihilated. If you have any family you want saved, you need to go to them tonight and prepare them to leave the city in the morning. So that's what Lot does. He, he goes to his future son-in-laws. He tries to, to plead with them. They won't hear a word of it. They think the old man is crazy. You know, That's not going to happen to Sodom. Get out of here. And so he goes back home. He tells his wife, get things ready. In the morning, we're leaving. Morning comes. Miss Lot still hasn't even packed her bag. The girls aren't ready. And the angel tells Lot again, you need to be leaving right now. But Lot can't get it through their thick skulls that they need to be going. So the two angels take Mr. Lot and Miss Lot and the two daughters by their hands and they lead them out of the city to safety. And once they get outside the city, the angel says to Mr. Lot, you guys run for your life. This city is about to be destroyed. And whatever you do, don't look back. Okay, you got to get that. The last word of instruction, don't look back. Once Mr. and Miss Lot and the daughters were at a safe distance, the fire of God fell. In fact, the Bible says it was fire and brimstone that fell out of the sky. And it completely annihilated all the cities in the plain and it killed all of the wicked people. Now, tragically, Miss Lot didn't do what the angels told them to do. She turned and looked back. And do you remember what happened to her? She turned into a, a pillar of salt. That's always kind of struck me. I, I can't even imagine what a pillar of salt really looked like. I mean, was it like just a pile of salt or a big... Did she turn into a statue of salt? I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. It, it, there's a lot of questions there, you know. 
Uh, I remember one Sunday school teacher was telling her little class of, of kids about this story and, and, and made the statement that uh, Miss Lot turned back. She turned around and then turned into a pillar of salt. And a little boy named Johnny raised his hand. He said, last week my mama looked back and she turned into a telephone pole. We needed to laugh right there, didn't we? Because let me tell you, this is serious stuff, what's happening right here. Very serious stuff. Now I want you to look with me to the conclusion of this story in Genesis chapter 19, verse 27. This has just happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot and his two daughters are now safely away. Here's what verse 27 says. And Abraham, remember him? He's the godly uncle who's been praying for his nephew and his family. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham. And sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Abraham, the godly uncle, stood there looking down into this valley with this incredible scene of smoke rising up as God's judgment had fell on this vile and wicked city. And somewhere down in that valley... Mr. Lot and his two daughters were no doubt thinking back to what had just happened to them and how lucky they were to have escaped that. And perhaps, just maybe, they are reflecting on a couple of lessons that they had learned through it all. And that brings us to right here, right now. Men, look at me, men, dads in particular, there are some lessons this morning we need to learn from Mr. Lot. Some lessons that we better learn from Mr. Lot. Here are some lessons our families need to learn in the 21st century. Three of them. Lesson number one, the world we live in is a spiritual war zone. I'm going to say that again so everybody can say amen. The world in which we live in is literally a spiritual war zone. When you think about Sodom of Abraham's day, probably about 4,000 years ago, it is uncanny of the similarities of our own world today where sinful behavior prevails. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were notorious for their sexual perversion. In fact, the very name Sodom, even today, is a synonym for homosexual behavior. And can I tell you that the city of Sodom stood for everything God hates. Every vile perversion and sin that man can commit was committed in the city of Sodom. Sodom is a perfect biblical picture of what the Bible calls the world. Let that sink in. Sodom is a picture of what the Bible calls the world. This world is a spiritual war zone. And our families are right in the middle of it. 
There are some things that we need to know about this war zone that we're living in and trying to raise our families in. Men, listen to me. Number one, we need to be alert to this world's ruler. There is a ruler of the world who is in charge of all the sin and chaos going on. Who is he? 1 John 5, 19 says, We know we are of God. That's us, Christians, believers. Do you know that you belong to God? Okay. We know that we are of God. And the what? The whole world, this whole world system lies under the sway of or the influence of who? It's the wicked one. That's the devil, Satan himself. We know as believers we belong to God. But this entire world system in which we live in, it is fallen under the influence and the sway of who? The wicked one, the devil himself. Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who does what? Who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So it is the devil who is deceiving the whole world. He has the world under his influence and he is deceiving all of us. And while we know that he is a defeated enemy, he is extremely powerful and very dangerous. He works with his evil angels who are called demons. And their job is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's Bible right there. That's what the Bible says. That's what the devil's about. To steal, to kill, and destroy. So he's not looking after your best interest, is he? Now, guys, here's what I want you to hear. Men in particular. The devil's chief objective is to destroy your life and your family. That is his supreme goal, to destroy you, to steal from you, to kill you, to destroy you. Men, listen to me. The devil is after you. He wants to bring you down. And in bringing you down, he wants to destroy your family. He is the ruler of the world. But secondly, you need to be aware of the world's rules. He's got his own set of rules. Don't you hate it when you're, when you're playing a game, especially as a kid, and you got some jerk on the, uh, out there playing that keeps changing the rules? I mean, don't you hate that? To benefit them, they always changing the rules. Well, that's the devil. He's always changing the rules, but he has his own rules that he goes by. What are they? First John chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here it is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And that's the rules of the world. The devil is enticing us through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he wants to bring you down. So the world has a ruler. It's the devil. 
He has his own set of rules. And the New Testament speaks of the world as a system of attitudes and values that are opposed to God's attitudes and God's values. And these rules are embodied and fleshed out by the people of the world. Now, the world's rules are on prominent display every day. I mean, all you have to do is open, wake up in the morning and you're going to see this world system and attitudes fleshed out. Where do we see the world's rules? Well, we see it through the media. Can I tell you, there is not such a thing as an unbiased media. I mean, it really is. And I see the world's values come through our news every time I pick up a paper or watch the news on TV. And you do too. The world's values and attitudes are heard through the music that we put in our cars and in our earbuds and listen to out by the pool. You're not liking this, are you? You're kind of getting ticked off at me, aren't you? This world's attitudes and values are allowed into our living rooms every time you turn on your TV or when you go to the movies. And here's the problem. If we are not careful, our hearts are going to be enticed and swayed by the attitudes and values of the world in which most of the time are opposed to the attitudes and values of God. And just like God had Sodom in the crosshairs of his judgment, I think God has his eye on this world as well. And the Bible tells us what's going to happen to the ruler of this world and the rules of this world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. This world is passing away in the lust thereof, but the person who does the will of God abides forever. I, I want to live forever, don't you? So let's follow God. So as Christ followers, we have to be different. We can't be a part of this world system. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Or as one paraphrase verse puts it, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Here's what James said about the world. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So God, let me, let me put it like this. You can't have the world and God at the same time. You can't be a part of this world system and philosophy and have love for God at the same time. The two don't mix. And you've got to make a choice. Now understand what I'm saying. As believers, we love the world like God loves the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But the world that he's talking about there are people. People need the Lord. Okay? However, we are not to be enticed into or worship the things of this world. Why? Because this world is not our home. We don't belong here. 
We don't need to be a part of it. Amen? And I know you're saying amen, but you're probably thinking the same thing that I've been thinking about. Okay, that's, that's a good point, preacher, but how do I do that? I mean, how in the world can I flesh that out? I work in the world. I go to school in the world. I live in the world. What, what am I to do? Am I supposed to become some kind of free will Baptist monk? Or monkette? No. And that's not what God is asking us. Here's, here's the point. We are in the world. Right? We're right here in the world. But we are not of the world. And God, there's a huge difference in that. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And every day, we have got to fight the battle not to get sucked into the world's rules. And let me tell you this, you don't have to become like the world to win the world. Because it doesn't work that way. If you're just like the world, I mean, what are you going to rescue them from? Okay? God expects and demands that you be different, that you be righteous. God loves the people of the world, all of them, good and evil alike. He doesn't want any to perish, but he wants all people to be saved. And so he has called us to be different, to understand that there is this spiritual battle going on. And for us not to allow ourselves to be conformed into the image of this world, but to take a stand for goodness, for righteousness, and for God's word. So here we see Lot struggling to keep his family intact in that incredibly evil and hostile environment. Lot and his family are in the minority as righteous. And so are you. So the first lesson is that the world where our families live is a spiritual war zone. I don't know about you, but, but I really don't want our families to be casualties. Do you? So point number two, lesson number two. Our families need godly leaders who are going to protect them. Because we are living in this spiritual war zone, our families need some godly leaders who will protect them. And men, listen to me, like it or not, that's your job description. That's what God has called you to do. That's, that's what it means to be a real man. You become the spiritual leader of your house, and you protect your wife and your children from this evil influence of our sinful world. I've been reading numerous articles recently about... Um, about absentee fathers. That's kind of a big subject that, that's affecting our society in a very grave way. And just as a summary to all the articles that I have read on this subject, absentee fathers, it's not a good thing in the home. All kinds of bad things happen when there is not a father figure in the home. But you know what? I can also say along with that, bad things happen when there's not a mama in the home too. Duh. <laughs> you know why? God made the family. And no matter what our world says a family is, here's what the Word of God says the family is. It is a man and a woman who are united in marriage, the marriage covenant, and they have children who are in submission to their parents. And according to the Word of God, whether you get it or don't get it, like it or don't like it, 
all of us have a job description in the home. And here's what the world says. Well, it really goes like this. The kids are the primary ones. You take, it's the babies. They get to make the decisions. You do what the kids say. Kids rule the roost. Isn't it? That's what the world says. Or you don't need that bum of a man in your house. Get rid of him. Or why are you putting up with that griping lady? Get rid of her. The world wants to break up the family unit. And anytime any of those things happen, if the kids are setting the rules, if the daddy is not being the spiritual leader, if the mother is not doing the job description that God gave her as a wife and mother to do, guess what happens in the home? There's chaos. It crumbles and disintegrates and falls apart. Why? Because God made the family to function as a family. And when the daddy is not there, bad things happen in the home. You can argue with me until we're blue in the face. I'm just, I'm just it's what God says. If daddy's not there, bad things. But here's what I've discovered studying absentee fathers. There, there are, you know, can I just talk to you? I'll move over here so I'm not behind the holy desk while I'm saying this. There are a lot of no good for nothing bums who've made babies and then abandoned them. But there are a lot of no good for nothing bums who's made babies and stayed in the home. But even though he's there physically, he's not there. He's still an absentee father because he's not doing what God has told him to do. Men, you are the moral compass for your family. Your job description is to protect your family. And you cannot be the spiritual leader and be an absentee father, even though you physically may be there, but you're not directing and leading and guiding and giving spiritual influence. And what is wrong in our world today and even in the church of Jesus Christ is that we as men are not doing what God has called us to do. And the families are crumbling and the church is falling apart. I feel better. It's the truth, man. The story of Genesis chapter 19 begins with Lot sitting in the gateway of his city. And, and theologians believe that is an analogy of Lot having influence in the city. It's like sitting at City Hall today. And he's sitting there at the gate of his city. But we have to wonder why he wasn't doing something more about the evil atmosphere in his city. Because the next thing that we see is that Lot is standing at the entrance not to the city gate, but of his own home. And he's trying to fight off this evil mob. Lot was standing at the door of his house fighting off the evil influence of the city. But you kind of get the impression that he has already so compromised his own life that he is fighting a losing battle. Because he ends up doing the inconceivable. He ends up offering his own daughters to these depraved men. Verse number 8. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. 
Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. I'll be honest with you, I don't get that. The the New Testament calls Lot a righteous man. And I do believe there there was righteousness in him, especially compared to the rest of that city. God saved him. Okay? But I can't, I can't begin to imagine a daddy who would even think about doing that to his own family. Somehow or another, he has compromised his own righteous beliefs. In contrast to this, Lot had this awesome uncle by the name of Abraham who truly was a man of faith. He was praying for his family even though he was far away. Listen, listen to this, Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. Abraham is in a discussion with the Lord and these two angels about the destruction of Sodom that's going to happen here in chapter 19. And again, he goes on to this, he's bargaining. If there's 50 righteous people, would you spare the city? They go all the way down to 10. And here's, here's what Abraham said in verse 25 to the Lord. Far be it from you, he's talking to the Lord, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And we know because we have read the New Testament that the righteous for whom Abraham was interceding was his own nephew Lot and his family. He was bargaining for them. He was pleading for them. And the fact is, men, we need some godly leaders in our homes and in our churches and in our community that will intercede for our own families and pray for them. Dads, I'm talking to you right now. Just guys, look at me. Men. If you don't get anything else in this message, I hope you you wake up and get this. If you are not praying for and protecting and being the spiritual leader for your own family, you tell me, if you're not doing that, who's doing it? Who's going to do it? Some time ago, I tried to tell you this story from my own life, but I don't think I got it across very good because it's, it's a real personal thing with me, and sometimes it's hard to express personal things. But several years ago, I, I started feeling guilty because of, of my prayer time and what I was doing praying. I found myself praying an extended period of time for my family. I would pray for, for Angie, for Whitney, for Tyler, for Callie, and for Zane. And I would just spend an enormous chunk of my prayer time praying for my family. That God would protect them, that he'd bless them, he'd be with them. I prayed for the, for perhaps the, the, the future mates for Zane and for Callie. And I mean, I was just, you know, okay, I'm just praying, I'm praying for my family. Which, I, you know, is, it was a good thing. But then I started, feeling, I started feeling guilty about it. Because I was thinking, dude, you know, that's... You need to be praying for other people. You need to be praying for Jason. You need to be praying for Eli. You need to be praying for, you know, you don't pray for yourself all the time and for your own needs. That's what I was taught as a kid and even in seminary about prayer. It's not about praying for you. You're, you're interceding for others. And so I, I, honestly, I started feeling guilty about all this time I was praying for my family. And then one day the Lord said to me, it wasn't an audible voice, but he spoke in my spirit. And he said, you dumbhead. And that's why God calls me when he wants my attention. You, it, not really. It, 
he got my attention. He says, he said, you have been listening to, this is the Lord telling me this, you have been listening to the lies of the devil. Because the devil doesn't want you to be praying for your family. But he said, William, and that's what my parents used to call me when they wanted my attention. God called me William. William, I gave you that wife and I gave you those kids. And if you're not praying for them, who is going to pray for them? And I mean, you know what that did? That just, that just turned on the fire inside of me that, you know, it is my responsibility. I am the spiritual leader of my family. And if I'm not praying for and interceding for my wife and my kids, nobody else is going to do that. They are my responsibility. And men in this church, let me tell you, if God has blessed you with a family, you protect them. You pray for them. You give them guidance. Why? Because that's what God has called you to do. Edmund Burke, the great British statesman who championed the American Revolution once wrote, all that is needed for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. And apparently there's been a whole lot of good men who have done a whole lot of nothing for a long time. What I'm trying to say is this, we need to look out for our families. There is a spiritual battle going on. Our families need our protection. We need to be the godly leaders who look after them. Long before I was born, there's a couple of TV shows out that I love to watch the reruns of. One of my favorites is the Three Stooges. <laughs> anybody, anybody Three Stooge fans out there? Come on, let me see. You like the old Stooge, man? course apparently the lord didn't want me talking about the three stooges this one i, I love three stooges but then I, I love the little rascals you like little rascals the gang man how many angie can imitate them pretty good you gonna do some imitations come on do something do one of them get get with her after church she's pretty good at imitating all the little rascal gang one of the one of the rewinds of the old shows is the gang decided they're going to help the local fire department put out fires, and so they make their own little fire rig. Remember that? Y'all remember that one? And, but how did they know where there was a fire? Well, they had a lookout. It was Alfalfa. He was he was sitting on top of this barn and he was looking out for smoke. And when he saw smoke, he would direct the gang. How, how did we know his job? Well, he, Alfalfa had this hat on, and on top of the hat was the word looker. That was his job. He was the looker. Dads, moms, grandparents, we need to be that kind of a godly looker to protect our family. This world we live in is a spiritual war zone. God wants you men to be godly leaders protecting your family. Because number three, the time to do all of that is right now. The time to take action is now. The angels told Lot to take action. Immediately get his family out of there because God's judgment was coming. And I believe the Lord is saying the same thing to us today, men. Don't hesitate. Take action. You need to do the right thing. Fight the good fight of faith. And don't wait until tomorrow 
or when your kids get out of diapers or when they get out of high school. You do it now. Take action now. I think about the recent volcanoes and floods that have just been everywhere around our world. The people who have survived those catastrophes heard the warning and did something about it. Some people didn't hear the warning, and so they couldn't do anything. Others heard the warning, but they did nothing. You need to hear the warning. God's judgment is coming. The devil is after your family. Time for action is now. Now, let me just in a parenthesis say this. God doesn't call you as a man or as a family to go hide in a cave. It's not what he wants you to do. You've got to make a difference in this world. And to make a difference, you have to be in the world but not of the world. Are you with me? However, you can't become a part of the world system. You must flee immorality. You need to avoid every appearance of evil. And you need to take action doing that right now. You need to be like Joshua who said... And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river or the God of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Men, you need to take that stand today. Right now. Amen? Now, we've been talking mostly about Mr. Lot, but... Let me just say something quick about his wife, Miss Lot. I kind of get the impression that here's a woman who is not at all excited to leave the city of Sodom. She had some kind of connection to it. In fact, when the angel express whisked Lot and his family out of town, they were told, whatever you do, don't look back. Now, why? Why would the angel give that instruction? I'd like to see what God did, wouldn't you? I'd like to see the fire and brimstone. Why did he tell them, don't look back? Well, my conclusion is this. It it had to do with not just getting Lot and his family out of Sodom. It had more to do about getting Sodom out of Lot and his family. Does anyone know what Luke chapter 17 verse 32 says? Read that out loud with me. Remember Lot's wife. What'd she do? She looked back, turned into a pillar of salt. You know what? That that is a New Testament warning about worldliness. And it's also a New Testament warning about the return and the judgment of Jesus Christ. So dads, moms, remember, we are living in a spiritual war zone. Our families need godly leaders who are going to protect them. And the time to start doing that is now.